People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk family with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm. Join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or on our website to hear us three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. You can reach us with your comments, questions, and suggestions at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and the Facebook group of the same name. And also follow us on Facebook. And if you want to share in more detail, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our soon-to-launch YouTube channel, and now on with this week's show. Welcome in, family, once again to the Brothers Talk family den, kitchen, barbershop, backyard, corner, or wherever you hold your relevant conversations, and we want to thank you for joining us. If it's your first time, we always look forward to you being with us each week so that you'll have some great conversations with those around you. So help us all spread the word and let's support critical thinking. And remember this holiday season to patronize as many black businesses as you can. That's how we relaunch Black Wall Street nationwide. And it's never been more necessary than it is right now, as not only did we not get as much of the stimulus funding for businesses, but we're also still the most vulnerable business segment. So let's put our disposable income where it can do the most good. We're two episodes away from our 100th episode, God willing, and we're planning a very special conversation about the new normal spreading in the Black community. And you definitely won't want to miss it because we're sure you'll be talking about it throughout the holidays and well into the new year. So mark your calendars for Friday, December 17th. Well, people, here we go again. The Omicron variant is now out there, and it's all because of racism, because the world knew that if it didn't help developing countries in Africa to get the vaccine, there'd be more variants, and now it's in full effect. They're saying the vaccines aren't as effective against this new variation, and it's even more deadly. But it does sound like Pfizer and Moderna believe they'll be able to roll out a booster shot within 100 days. Racism is once again literally killing us because despite the fact that there are literally hundreds of thousands of doses of vaccines that are expiring, that are being thrown out every day, they refuse to send them to the countries where they absolutely knew that the variants would be forming because they just didn't want to make sure that the Black people who couldn't necessarily pay the freight would get the kind of help that they need. So once again, I remind you, racism is literally killing us, but surely as you can, make sure that you get your vaccination so that you can make it through to the new year. And now to my brothers in the struggle for critical thinking, Scott and Noah. Hey family, thank you for your support. Uh, one of the things that I, I wanna talk about here is this new variant. Uh, even before they announced that this new variant, uh, nobody said that it's in this country yet, but it's in it's it's in Europe and you know some other countries. I just noticed a, a, a real disturbing trend as you go to different states like like the Georgia, especially the south southern states, and even here in uh, you know where I am in Maryland, there are people who are literally. Uh, acting as if there's not a, a, a virus going on right now. I mean, people are just in close quarters. They're not masked up. And it's just shocking. 
at the same time you hear there is a rise in the medical professionals and researchers are saying that, you know, after the Thanksgiving holiday and going into the Christmas holidays, you know, it may be catastrophic. And it just looks like that's where we're heading and people are just really not taking this serious. And we may end up having another lockdown. So please, if you haven't been vaccinated, go get vaccinated. Wear your mask. Safe this. People look out for each other. Noah? Thanks, Scott. Brothers and sisters, you know, we, we do this every week. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about Black businesses. We talk about Black bad health. We talk about Black relationships. And it's all tied into the betterment of our community and our people in this country. It's all tied together. So please pick one and help us this week. Thank you. So we got a kind of a round robin post Thanksgiving conversation today, sort of like how you all enjoyed leftovers that often taste better throughout the weekend. So here we go. We want to start out talking about institutional racism again, because with all the sporting events that were going on this weekend, it was easy to be on display because it existed in employment and housing and finance across the board. But one of the things that makes sports such an easy target to see institutional racism is just because it's on television on display that you will have these sports like the major sports of football and basketball where the majority of the athletes, the vast majority, over 70% in football and 80% in basketball, where you have the majority of the athletes being black, but for 50 or more years, the vast majority of coaches are still white. And so if there was ever a system that basically was set up to make sure that whites were entitled to something that they were not actually earning, it would be looking at the management structure of professional sports. And so we can see this same kind of logic being applied across the other areas like employment and housing. We were talking about how whenever it comes to black candidates, how they are screened and scrutinized to the nth degree, much more so than their white counterparts, because they are once again kind of given the benefit of the doubt that they are qualified based on their whiteness. And so this is the kind of thing that when you watch sports, we just ask you to ask the people around you, especially your white friends and neighbors, how is it that these sports can be predominantly black for so many years? And yet when it get, comes to the management ranks, the structure continues to be almost lily white. You know, uh, institutionalized racism, we talked about that a little bit. And institutionalized racism is so ingrained into the society and of this country and culture that you have a lot of black people who they don't even realize that they've been discriminated against uh when you point out to them do you hear some black people who are in such denial or who don't recognize institutionalized racism they'll say well I, i've never been discriminated against i've never experienced being discriminated against you've been discriminated against you're just in denial uh, you're just not uh, uh, astute enough to to actually recognize that you're being discriminated against. Because I've worked with people and on the job 
they'll they'll claim that they've never been discriminated against, but they'll constantly complain behind closed doors when you're with them in private about things that people on the job are doing to them. And those things happen to be racist things like passing you up for a promotion, bringing people in that you train, you train them, they have less, they have less experience, they may have less credentials, but they come in under your wing and a couple of years later, they're your supervisor or they're supervising somebody, but you're still in the same spot. And you see this happen time and time again, and they chalk that up to, oh, no, 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 I, I, I haven't been, that's not discrimination. That's exactly what it is. And, and, and people seem to uh, uh, use excuses like in the, uh, wasn't that, that that's just the way it is, uh, that song. And that's how, that's the approach that a lot of people take when it comes to being discriminated against or institutionalized racism. Oh, I think black folks and white people go, well, you know, that's just the way it is. Well, I, I feel we have too many black folk, as you put it, who are really cooperating with the system because they have a comfortable spot in it. And you mentioned some coworkers. We have too many black people like, like that, Scott, that literally, just because they're comfortable in their position and, and comfortable with the amount of racism that they're willing to eat, they rather just pretend that it doesn't exist or it's no big deal when looking at it from another one's perspective. And they wind up holding Black people back because if we're not united front in regards to our oppression in this country, then white people always have someone to point at to say it's not that bad. Yeah, Scott, and I think you were talking about Rogers Hornsby song. That's just the way it is. And so another oh, yeah. example of that is like in the housing, you know, there was a sister down in Baltimore who realized what institutional racism looked like to the extent that she had her house appraised twice. And the second time she asked one of her white friends to come in and act as though it was his home. And so she took out all of her pictures and things that showed that she lived there and her house appraised for $150,000 more than it did when the first appraiser came through and saw her there as a black woman. And so this is the kind of thinking that is ingrained into the process. So when we talk about institutional racism, we're really talking about a process that exists not so much about individuals committing racist acts, but that they're just predisposed because of how the system is to allow them to operate in a racist fashion. Exactly. And, and, and Rod, I'm just going to pick up on a little bit of something that you talked about doing with sport when you was using sports analogies. So you got a situation where Dan Mullen was, was fired as the head coach of Florida. And, and we're talking that just happened a few days ago. Well, they've already hired a guy to replace that, to, to replace him. And the guy is a 42-year-old white guy and named Bill Napier, Billy Napier, or William Napier, or something, Napier, Billy Napier. And he was the coach of, uh, uh, what, Louisiana Tech, some school like that. But the, the point is, because of the way that the system is set up, people just assume that, oh, he was just, just was the right person and the best person, the most qualified person for the job. 
when, when in fact, institutionalized racism just doesn't affect black people. It affects people who are making the decision. We're so accustomed, they're so accustomed that this is the way we do things. And we've done things like this in the past and we're just gonna keep doing it. And we're just doing it because, hey, that's how we've been doing it. So you, you hire this guy without even interviewing any black coach or minority coach, but black coach in particular, when, when the uh, uh, NCAA football, the percentage of black players gotta be around in the, in the high sixties or 70% on college campuses, but yet you've already hired a guy. And so to me, that's systematic racism in play because you're operating within the framework of systematic race, systematic racism to hire this guy. And, and in my opinion, a better example is the NFL, which over the past two years have hired 11 head coaches and not one African-American. And barely, I mean, it's almost impossible for an African-American coach to get an interview, despite the Rooney rule. Right, I don't know where we're going with this. Yeah, and they did hire the one brother down in Houston, of all places, which is a train wreck, which is always how we tend to get jobs. You know, we never get any of the plum opportunities. We all did see what was going on with Eric Bieniemy there, you know, having the leading offense two years in a row with Andy Reid campaigning for him in Kansas City to get a head coaching job, can't get the interview, and yet they'll just pick up these guys who are just basically – the same old, same old, as you said, Scott, just because they are white, they're just, it's assumed that they would have the potential to be a better coach. So they don't even bother. That's why the NFL just came out with this new list of 12 African-Americans. So they can say that they are putting these candidates forth and taking away the excuse from the white owners and general managers that they didn't know who these candidates are. So that, again, is just how the system works. So moving on to the situation, let's look at the justice system. And particularly, we want to talk about the justice system, not so much as the lower courts, but look at just what's happening at the highest level with Merrick Garland and with the states of New York and Maryland and Georgia and Florida, all of which supposedly had cases that were pending against 45 and his cronies. And yet we haven't seen a single prosecution come to the floor yet. And that includes going back to Congress and the insurrection. We've seen no real charges levied. We've seen a commission be out there for some three months or so without any real teeth. The best they can do is subpoena and, and, and threaten to jail guys like Steve Bannon and Roger Stone. But at the end of the day, not a thing has happened. And it just goes to show you about the two-tiered system of so-called justice. And that's exactly what we're When you start talking about what's going on with the justice system, it appears that you have a situation, Raj, you said two tiers, but it's here, it appears that there may be a, a, a third tier here because you got a, a, a situation where there is justice, no justice, actually, people are not being held accountable when they're super rich white people. They're not being held accountable. They can do what the hell they want to do. Then you have just regular white folks. When you talk about, look at what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse, 
housing, just a regular white person. He's white, so he get off with double, double murder. And then you have a justice system for, for black people and everybody else, which we don't get afforded the same, uh, the same kind of opportunities that uh, the super rich get or white people get to, to actually clear ourselves and remain free. So let's take a look at what's going on with the previous administration. Usually when you leave and the, the, the previous administration leaves, you cannot accept a job or, or anything like that with a company or organization or, or uh, uh, a lobbyist group that you've been doing business with while you was working for the government. With this administration, they've gotten away with everything they wanted to get away with while they was in office and they're continuing to do whatever they want to do while they're not in office. I read an article where Jared Kushner has started this uh, 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 investment firm where he's going to receive $2 billion from Saudi Arabia, which happened to be one of the countries that he was nurturing and creating a relationship with while he was an advisor with the Trump administration. And nothing has been done about it. And, you know, you got a situation where these guys why is it that they're not being held accountable and everybody else gets held accountable for doing the same or similar things? Well, here's the real question, Scott. The ultimate question is, why are we supporting a party that does not support our best interests? That's a good point. Well, I'm going to continue to go, though, Scott, and say that I think it's still a two-tiered system because the one thing that those who got away with it, whether they were super rich or just, as you call them, regular old whites, is that they were white. Because remember, Bill Cosby, R. Kelly, same thing right. as Harvey Weinstein, and yet where Bill Cosby and R. Kelly, yeah. well, Bill Cosby's out now. So, I mean, it's, it's just that two-tiered thing. It's like, you know, white and pretty much everybody else. So uh, moving right along, let's talk about Norm's question about these so-called centrist Dems, because that seems to be what has happened, is that the Democratic Party of our early years of finding out what our political leanings are, are is not the Democratic Party of today. You know, when we are, are boomers and, and Norm is a Gen Xer. And so the Democratic Party that came along in the 70s and even into the early 80s suddenly transformed itself into this party of centrist Democrats in the Clinton era. And that party moved away from being a party of the people to being a party of corporate interest that you've got, as somebody said, both parties drinking from the same trough of corporate money. So why would any of us ever really expect him to be any different in anything other than form, certainly not of substance? Yeah, the, 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 the things about the Democrats is, it's just right now, uh, they don't seem to be serving anybody well. Even their interests, they're, they're, of course, they're feeding from this, they're eating from the same cloth as the Republicans. But uh, the, the issues that I had with the Democrats this, when Obama came into office, you always have a situation where the Republicans come in, they, they put the, the country in a hole financially, they have bad policies, 
uh, they just wrecked the place. And Democrats come in like oh, uh, uh, Bush sent us, put us in their Iraq war in, in uh, Afghanistan. And Obama came into the office and immediately announced that, well, we're, we're going to look forward. We're not going to go after them. We're not going to prosecute them and that whole thing. But at the same time, you try to say that, hey, you don't interfere with the Justice Department. Well, you just came out and gave them a directive not to go after the Bush administration, which he didn't. Now the same thing with the Biden, with the Biden administration. You got the Trump, Trump people came here and wreaked havoc on every every institution in the federal government and they look like they're going to get a pass. It's been almost 11 months and yet nothing has been done. Nobody has been held accountable. We don't see any action. That's why people are frustrated. Uh, the Democrats on the Democratic side, people are frustrated because they don't see any action. They do uh, people recognize, okay, we got the infrastructure, the infrastructure bill passed, but folks don't know what's in it. It hadn't impacted anybody's life right yet. Yet, so as far as people are concerned, you ain't you haven't done anything, and we don't know what you're doing and what you're trying to do. What are your goals? Where are you going? Where are you trying to lead the country? Uh, that's that's my biggest issue with the Democrats is they come in, they let the, the, the Republicans wreak havoc on the country, and then they don't do nothing about it. They give them a pass. They don't have to do anything. And, and that's really what they stand for. We don't have to. All we have to do is stand up and say, we're not them. That's all they do. Yeah, well, you definitely made a good point. And Scott, he disagree with you again, but I'm going to say that the corporations are making out quite well under the Democrat. That's why I said they're both drinking from the same trough, because whether it's Republican or Democratic administration in there, the corporations still and the super rich still seem to do very well. So that's it for our round robin discussion this week. Uh, we look forward to you taking up these topics yourself and suggesting more to us. But now in our Black Professional Experience of the Week, Scott. Okay, this uh, this week we want to we want to give a shout out to Eddie Brown. He is the founder and chairman. Eddie Brown, and his wife uh, Sylvia Brown, he's the founder and chairman. He just CEO of Brown Capital Management, a Baltimore-based assets management firm that is the second oldest African-American-owned investment firm, management firm in the world. And they're both Howard University graduates, and they recently announced a $5 million gift to Howard University. It's a grant for students facing financial barriers, and it's the largest donation from an alumni 154-year history. So we want to give them a shout out for giving back to their alma mater. Great deal. So thanks again to all of you for listening and remember to join us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you want to share in long form with feedback, suggestions, questions, or show ideas, hit us up at the email, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. And of course, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, it's The Brothers Talk. So that's a wrap for another episode. As always, we appreciate your time and your interest and know that we'll never take it or you for granted. So until the next time, let's do better today because that's all we really have.